Good afternoon. I am very, very honoured to have a fellow northerner joining me for the second edition of Flex in the City. And that is the wonderful Ian Holden from SS&C Globop. Ian, welcome. Thank you very much, Rachel. <laughs> You're very welcome. Very welcome. Very excited to have you on the show today and to learn a little bit more about you and, and, and your story. So, uh, you know, a proper northern grilling, as they say. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, nervous. <laughs> you're nervous now. I know. I know. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Um, so um, perhaps you could start by just telling us, because you're from Burnley. That's correct. Um, yes, you. you're from Burnley. Yeah. So love to hear how you how you ended up in London and how you ended up in this, you know, big bad world of financial services. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it's it's a long time since I've lived in Burnley. Um, that's where I was born and brought up till probably about the age of thirteen or fourteen. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd never think it from my accent. Uh, the stern, <laughs> it's the, there's certainly a trace of Burnley still in there. Um, you know, I think it's one of the traits of people from the north is you do tend to be very proud of where you're from, regardless of what's happening uh, in in the particular town that you're from. Um, so, yeah, my father got promoted. We moved down to the south of England. He was working in London at the time, so uh, so we lived in Bedfordshire. Um, so you've been down in the south since you were 14 years old. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't really <laughs> sound like it, does it? No. But, but then the flip side to that is, uh, you know, the first, you know, my first job uh, in London was at, at Barclays and I was actually mm. in retail banking uh, and there was a boss there and I was working in, in the regional office down in Pall Mall uh, and he pulled me in for my first one-to-one -one and he said, Ian, you're going to be a success. And I said, great. Thank you. Why? Your accent. Sorry, so you're going to have to help me here. And he said, "Well, look," and he said, "When you speak to somebody, they're going to pick up on the accent, and the first thing they're going to do is say, where are you from?'" And he said, "Once they say where are you from, he said they will either enjoy football and they will ask about football. They will know somebody from that part of the world." He said, "You will always have the start of a conversation." And I have to say, I mean, the very fact that we're starting this podcast in this way actually shows that what he was saying had some validity yeah. uh, and I still get it today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so you started at Barclays, then what happened? Started at Barclays, realised there was no money in retail banking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then moved, moved across to, to Morgan Stanley. Right. Uh, did 12 years at Morgan Stanley, loved mm -hmm. it, uh, mm -hmm. mainly in the operations world there. Mm -hmm. but did a number of various uh, different projects, spent three months in Paris helping to set up the, the Paris office uh, back in 1994. Um, Alors, vous parlez we, français, alors? Uh, yes, yes, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, I just found that I came away from there with, with lots of things that I realised uh, I would use in the rest of my career. I left mm. with confidence. What Morgan Stanley was excellent at was doing lots of uh, training around leadership. Mm. So we did some MBNA work, I think, with Warwick University. Mm. Um, I just found that side of things really, really interesting. Um, left uh, After leaving Morgan Stanley, I moved from what we describe as a sell side to the mm. buy side. 
worked for European Credit Management for, for nine years. Um, when I joined, had around about one and a half billion euros assets under management. Uh, before the downturn in 2008, it got up to over 30 billion euros uh, AUM. Uh, and then obviously 2008 came along, things turned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was bought by Wells Fargo. Right. And they decided to to look to see whether, you know, they could do their operations and fund accounting work, you know, how should we say this, more efficiently and mm-hmm. cheaper, I presume, uh, by moving to a, to another firm. So I was lifted out. I joined Globoc. Um, yeah. That was a really interesting part in my career. How do you how do you go through a change like that? How do you make a change like that work for you? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and I, again, I, I look back on that with a lot of pride as to, to how we managed to get through that positively, how we managed to make that work, and also then how we you I I used that uh, experience. To kick on within within globe up as it was yeah and what was exceptional uh, about the leadership at that time of transformation uh well i had a, <clears throat> a small team of, uh, of 10 people at that time mm. um all incredibly good all incredibly intelligent uh, people maybe a, a, a tad younger than myself and therefore for them it was quite a difficult thing to go through mm. um but really it was about helping them to get through it and to say well look this is what's happening. Mm. What you've got to work on is, is what are the things you can affect? Don't worry yeah. about the things you can't affect. Worry about the things you can affect. Mm. And, and have, you know, have confidence in your own ability. Mm. You know, the, and remember at the time, there was a couple of them came to me and, and we built a great little team. Uh, we were incredibly efficient considering it was a, an operations team of 10 people mm-hmm. and we at, at the time we were still at 15, 16 billion euros, mm. um, it was incredibly efficient. Um, but what, you know, what ECM wanted or what Wells wanted at the time was something to be scalable. You know, if they were to lose more AUM, they didn't want to let people go. They didn't mm-hmm. want to go through that. They wanted to make sure that they had a scalable operation where their, the cost of that operation would scale with the size right. of the <clears throat> Um, and, you know, like I say, a couple of them came up to me and said, oh, Ian, it must be awful. You spent all this time putting together this team and we're really mm-hmm. successful. And, and it's like, no, it's just that it's, it's allowing us to move on to the next stage of our careers. Yeah. Sometimes you need that. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes people, and I, I've seen it across the, the various different firms that I've worked for, you see people sleepwalking through their career, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. never really taking, you know, when it comes to the fork in the road, do you take the opportunity or do you take the easy route? Uh, yeah. And for me, I think I've been lucky in the fact that things have happened to me that have given me the opportunity to take the right fork in the road, you know. Mm. Um, so who's inspired you along the way in your, in your career? Has there been a leader um, that you reported to you to when you were much younger that really um, uh, well, inspired I think, you? I, I think there is, you know, if you look across my career, you know, my time at Morgan Stanley, I was very lucky um, about two or three years into into my time there. I did the time in Paris. That was part of a, 
a project not only to set the Paris office up, but to build a new settlement <clears> system. Uh, was working for a guy at the time called Keith Barrett. And Keith yeah. was one of those guys, he was just a bundle of energy. Mm. You couldn't work for Keith without being passionate. Right. And and it it really changed my whole outlook. Instead of waiting for somebody else to tell me what to do, I realized, actually, you know what? I've got lots I can give here. Mm. And I watched how Keith worked and how he got the people to operate around him. And the reason he was successful was because he was giving people opportunities. And the question right. was, <clears throat> are you going to take it? Um, so I think Keith was inspiring that way. You know, if I look at in the business that we're in now, uh, you know, I'm very lucky um, to work with Rahul Kamwar and Bill Stone and Ken Fullerton in, in the States. And I look at those guys, Bill in particular, Bill, you meet Bill, Bill's an inspiration. He's mm. built this firm up into the multi-billion dollar firm that it is from his own garage. How do you do that? Mm. Bill's taken risks along the way. Mm. You know, he's got, he's somebody that's worked out a plan. He buys firms and he gets more out of the firm than the previous owners. Right. And how does he do that? You know, he doesn't. You know, I, if you think back to the RBS-ABN merger mm. or takeover, a great example, in the end, it brought RBS down. Mm. Why? Because nobody had a real plan with what to do with ABN once they bought it. And you look at Bill, Bill always has a clear plan. Mm. What are we going to do with that firm? And not only that, he knows what that firm is worth to him. Once it goes past that, he leaves the ego at the door. Okay. And that's important. So, so if I look at the moment, <clears throat> working with the likes of Rahul and Bill, you know, they're pretty inspirational as well. Fantastic. So, Ian, I know that um, in your spare time, when you have some spare time, you are an avid reader of leadership books. Which is your favourite one? Curious. So, there's, there's a number of good ones out there. Uh, I particularly like Tipping Point. Mm. Uh, uh, the Malcolm Gladwell book. You mm. know, I, I like the story that one tells, and you know, I think there's a story in there where it says, uh, "I'm no, I'm no expert on the American Civil War." So, for any American listeners, I apologise now. But you know, when the English were coming over in their armada, you know, somebody gives the heads up and says, "Right, we need to go and bring an army in to help fight them when they they land," and. One of the guys goes north, one of the guys goes south. One comes back with thousands of people and one comes back with 50 people. Why? Mm -hmm. What was it that the person that went north did that the person, they were both telling, telling the same story. So why was it? Um, I also love reading Matthew Syed in the Times. I like his mm -hmm. black box thinking. Mm -hmm. I think there's an awful lot that the finance industry can take from that. I, I like the story there about comparing how the medical industry looks at mistakes in comparison yeah. to the airline. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot that financial services can learn from that because, you know, we're dealing with serious amounts of money and things do go wrong. Mm. How do we break down what went wrong and how do we make sure that that doesn't happen again? Uh, and for me, a lot of that is all around governance. Right. How do you make sure that as a leader, 
you make sure that there's good governance yeah and that also a culture that you create that allows people to come forward to tell you what's going on yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. We're getting a lot of the, the governance and culture theme on these podcasts around financial services. So what, what skills do you th- feel are, are needed by financial services leaders to, today, Ian? Has it changed? Yeah, I think, it, I think it probably has. I mean, I think to be a leader, there is a bit where you have to be a people person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to manage egos. You know, probably more so in the financial services industry than most. Mm. Um, I think it's about surrounding yourself with good people. Yeah, I think that to me is is the key in in any leadership role, whether it be financial services or not. You're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah, I think you know the obvious thing in in financial services. You know, if I remember back to my first role. You know, tickets were still written on a piece of paper. They were filed in a, in, in a humongous filing cabinet at the mm. end of the, uh, the corridor. Uh, and if obviously now we look at the technology and where it's going, it's, it's incredibly different to when I first started. Having said that, I do think in the financial services industry, I think in a way we're almost trying to play catch up now. So yeah. if you look at the retail world and the likes of Revolut that yeah. you know if you pardon the pun are revolutionizing yeah. personal thinking. The question is is who's gonna be the disruptor in uh, yeah. you know in our world, you yeah. know, in in the financial services industry that's looking at asset managers and investment banks, etc. Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of talk of Amazon Amazonization, hasn't there? There has, but but it I think you know, firms like ours are probably well positioned in the fact that we're a technology firm mm. that's in financial services as opposed to a financial services firm that's trying to become a technology firm. Yeah, absolutely. So what, do you, what would you say uh, are the two most important traits that, that you have that, that have brought you your own success? <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's oh, dear. Put you on the spot there. Put you on the spot. Um, I think... I think it's the people bit. Mm. I think look, I think part of the problem with financial services is it's complicated. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It is it's yeah. difficult. If my mum was if my mum was listening, could you explain what you do to my mum? Yeah, I could. You know, could I think, you? okay. But, but for me, and I think that's why I, you know one of the reasons I think I can be successful. You know, for me, an administrator, we're in a my part of the business is an administrator. What does an administrator do? Mm-hmm. If you were to invest in a fund, you would want to make sure that that's what that fund says they traded, they had traded, mm-hmm. what the fund is worth, it is worth, and what they hold, they really do hold. Right. And that's the basics of what we do. We're here as the, the check for the investors to say, this isn't Bernie Madoff. Right. Yeah, I think my mum could understand that, Ian. Good, yeah. northern, good northern explanation. Having said that, to be able to do that, it's incredibly complicated. You need really good technology, you need mm. really good people, and you need really good governance in place. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I think that's one of the advantages is to be able to say, you know, you were asking about books, and, and I recently read Range, 
uh, and it's about being a generalist, mm. understanding the various different points, but understanding below those points, there are experts that we have here. Mm. And how do you make the most of their expertise? Mm. Um, and by doing that and flying maybe slightly higher, you can then start to put it together to say, well, actually, how would this work for a client? What is it that a client would want from all this expertise and technology that we've got? Mm. Mm. So I couldn't not, not touch on this in this podcast. I know that you are a huge passionate football fan Ian is that true uh, that is correct yes that is, is correct <laughs> so I'd like to ask you who do you think has been the most inspiring leader in in that industry and why so I think you can probably look at a couple of people one is probably one that people would expect me to say another one if you know me you would expect me to say okay <laughs> so the okay. first one is Pep Guardiola uh -huh. um, you know, if you like your football, he has created a brand that's not just pleasing on the eye, but also is incredibly successful with the resources that have been available to him. So bearing in mind that he started at Barcelona, which is arguably, if not the world, the biggest club in the world, then certainly uh -huh. one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh -huh. um, the second person uh, is Sean Dyche. Uh -huh. uh, as I say, said, as we said at the start, I'm from Burnley, very proud to be from Burnley. And therefore, I, uh, from an early age, I was taken to, to Turf Moor to watch what I think passed for football at the time. Um, and Sean Dyche is, is the manager of Burnley, has been for seven or eight years now. Uh -huh. Burnley is a town of 80,000 people that is playing in the biggest league in the world and being competitive, currently sat seventh in the Premier League. How does a town of 80,000 people without a major financial backer mm. become seventh in the, the biggest league in the world? Mm. And the reason is, is because Sean Dyche has found a way of making sure that the sum of the parts is far, far greater than the whole. And how does he do that? He does that because he's got a clear plan based on the resources available to him. He isn't following Pep Guardiola, mainly because, as he says, I don't have the money. And if he doesn't have the money, clearly he's not going to be able to purchase players of the technical ability that a Manchester City have. Yeah. So based on what he does have, how does he make it successful? And part of that is, first of all, he sets the strategy. The second thing is, is he's then got to get the people that work for him, whether that's the players, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the media people, to believe that the strategy will work. And then he's got to put it into practice. Mm. And you look at where they are, he's clearly incredibly successful. So it's strategy and employee engagement. Yeah. How the do you... And, and let's face it, if you're, if you're then putting that together with the financial services industry, mm. you know, you, you look at football, I think it's fair to say there are one or two egos in football. And if we're being, oh, honest, about, and if we're being honest about the financial services industry, there's one or two egos in the financial <laughs> services industry. For sure. So, you know, you look at it and you get to a leadership role, you are going to have to manage egos. How do you do that? exactly the same challenge that's being put to a football manager 
Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. So what behaviours do you think financial services leaders can, can really adopt that, that we can take away from football? Um, well, I think, I think if you look at what Sean Dyche says about how he works with his players, mm-hmm. I think it's honesty. I think it's right. integrity. What are you looking for from your leader? Somebody you mm-hmm. can believe in. Somebody who believes in you. Yeah. Somebody who gives you opportunities. Somebody yeah. who sets you challenges. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's what I like. You know, I, I honestly believe here we've created a very good team. We have a very clear strategy. Um, you know, I think my role in that is to, to allow people to reach their potential. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different level when it comes to whatever that potential is. But I'd like to think that people here get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Ian, I think there's a there's a book in you, the Seven <laughs> Habits of Highly Effective Northerners. <laughs> we have discussed that. We have discussed that. We have discussed that. So, Ian, thank you so much. Ian Holden from SSNC Global, thank you so much for um, uh, participating on uh, Flex and the City. Um, thank you very much. You're welcome. Really enjoyed it, Rachel. Good.